Hey everyone, it's Raghu, and I'm doing a little intro on this mind-rolling episode. I want to introduce you to somebody who is so special. His name is Bruce Damer, Dr. Bruce Damer. I had him on the show actually just before the pandemic, all the way back when. And we caught up in this podcast and... uh there's just, he's outstanding uh, scientist. He's an astrobiologist. Can you imagine? I mean, where we left off was him advising the Japanese government space agency around looking at uh, origins of life on Mars. This is a big thing, Bruce's, by the way. So I really wanted to to point to everybody because Ramdas was so interested and wanted us to do a, a summit of some sort around science and spirituality and we've added the uh, concept of uh, psychedelic insight, especially regarding the profound findings uh, regarding how effective it is with PTSD, psychedelics and addiction, and death and dying, and so on. And Bruce is right in the center of all of it, from the science to he's a Buddhist, to the spiritual, to his experience around psychedelic ceremonial work. Uh, I just, uh, I highly recommend it. At the same time, aside from the podcast, I've got to tell everybody, finally, after all these years, five years, Duncan Trussell and myself, we have finally released the movie of me to the movie of we. And you've been hearing me talk about it to all sorts of different people over these last number of years. So I'm really proud, especially it comes out in a very, uh, obviously very difficult time in uh, on our planet in general. So many with the climate uh, conditions that uh, just seem to get uh, more intense every year than these wars that are going on and the polarization in this country, well, many places, but certainly here. Uh, so I'm kind of happy because it addresses the the way in which we all are very, very uh, attached to our uh, habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies and and belief systems that don't allow for any other uh, space to happen from anybody. Uh, it's uh, So it, we are difficult humans. And so we talk, Duncan and I talk about this, and we, you know, go through our own stories, the way that we have believed them, the way we have believed our thoughts, the way that we have projected, and so on. And, and look to our yeah. teachers, basically, to advise on what are the ways in which we can transform this gigantic self-interest that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, anyhow, I'm really happy about this. And I uh, just go to movieofme.com and all the links will be there for the audio book. There's an ebook as well, but it's really the audio book gives the... Uh, you know, the way in which uh, Duncan and I have a lot of love and, and a good rapport, and uh, we have fun. So there's a lot of fun in this, aside from, you know, maybe some interesting information. I hope so. So check it out, movieofme.com. 
And uh, please enjoy this podcast with Dr. Bruce Damer. It's just uh, one of the most expe- uh, exceptional, really, one of the most exceptional podcasts that I've been part of in a long time. See you next time. Hey, everyone. I'm so happy to be back here with Mind Rolling and an old friend, Bruce Damer, Dr. Bruce Damer. And uh, and we just figured out that we haven't uh, been in touch since the pandemic. It took us a bit to catch up. But welcome, Bruce. Happy to have you here. Thank you, Raghu. It's so great. All right. Well, okay. Where, where did we... One of the things where we left off to mention is you being, you were in Japan not long before we had that chat, advising Japanese Space Agency, I believe, around Mm -hmm. their explorations into uh, the origins of life. That's more your your exploration, but I don't know what their mission was, but on Mars, right? So from there to here, what happened? Oh my gosh! So so much has happened in our in the science. You know, uh, the American Osiris Rex mission landed seventy grams of asteroid material two weeks ago oh. in the Utah desert. And I have, when I go around to give talks, I carry a little vial of of uh, meteorite material that ah. people can sniff, and Good. you can smell this beautiful smoky ash-like smell and it's the smell of the birth of the solar system wow Uh, and and the organics that you're smelling the polycyclic aromatics are some of the building blocks of life and this particular little vial of ash meteorite ash that i have is older than earth that ash material is 4.6 billion years old formed before earth actually formed so it it's like a a snifter with a vintage of a (laughs) You know, a vintage of wine yeah. that is the, it's actually the oldest thing your nervous system would ever touch. Well, And uh, it's kind of, I've handed it around to thousands of people and audiences, and uh, <laughs> including people like Deepak Chopra and, and others. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's a personal embodied experience of the creation in some ways through science. Uh, mm-hmm. That's so great. Wow. All right. Are you any further into um, any any more insights into the origins and who the hell are we and how did we get here? Yes. In fact, uh, since our last conversation, uh, I went with the whole team. We went to a month later. This is in February 2020, just before COVID shut down the country. So we had to get back from Auckland before that happened. But uh-huh. the week before, we had been in the bubbling hot springs at, at a place called Hell's Gate, uh, supported by Maori uh, tribes people. Uh-huh. And I was bending, I and the students from Australia and, and New Zealand were bending over little vials set into the hot spring, bubbling away, and we formed protocells. We formed these little membranous sacs that glow under fluorescent microscopy and within them is a stitched together RNA and even self-assembled DNA. So it worked. So it worked in the actual live environment where we think life started four billion years ago. Uh, it worked in modern New Zealand. 
And so we we dried those solutions down, flew back to California, then the pandemic hit, uh, but we were able to to put them under the microscope and see these little glowing blobs. Uh, we repeated that at Fly Geyser near Burning Man, in on Burning Man's land at, really? at Fly Ranch, twice, once with the BBC uh, filming us. And it turns out that this this idea, this wet-dry cycling in hot springs that can make these little protocells and fill them with polymers, it has a almost, I'd say, a, a philosophical outflow that branches into spiritual thinking yeah. uh, and a new idea for the 20s. So I think in, in our last podcast, or actually it was in the conversation Ramdas had with Amit Goswami. Yeah. In 1980, so great. Yeah. it was so great, right? That's that's from, uh, you know, the Be Here Now, uh, the podcast series, Be Here yeah. Now, uh, episode 160 for the listeners. You, you've got to go and listen to that. Yeah, it's, that's, it's that's phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And what Goswami talks about is the philosophical and spiritual shift that happened in the 1920s with relativity, with the idea that time is malleable. And and they get into it. So Ramdas gets into it, talking about uh, uh, time invariance in experience, where your consciousness could smoosh around. You could be tapping from older things into newer things into future things. Hey. And this is uh, possibly the experience of some of the gurus in India that reach these states, these non-dual states, and stay within them. They stay high, in a sense. Yeah. And so that conversation is inspiring because in the 2020s, through this basic science, we may have discovered another fundamental truth, that life is an inseparable blob, an inseparable uh protocellular mass, that the origin of life started not with individual protocells in competition, uh, in sort of the, the red and tooth and claw idea from the 19th century, from Herbert Spencer, but as a interconnected, interdependent, co-sharing, communal complex. Yeah. So those little glowing blobs in our microscopes that we formed in, in the various hot springs, when the spring is drying down, they form this grouping and the grouping lights up potentially with chemical interactions and networks. So the or, the common ancestor of all life is not a little individual uh, cell, primitive cell yeah. that's duking it out in, alone in the universe. It's actually a communal mass that is a body in growth, a body in adaptation. It's a really brand new conception from hard sciences. So... You know, relativity drew from the uh, the eclipse of 1919 from really hard observations that light bends around stars and these sorts and, of things. Well, this is a hard observation that, and the logical argument that the only way for life to get started is, is in group. It's mm, in wow. group selection, in group interconnection, in relationship, no divisibility. So also drawing from Ron Voss's great idea or great uh, pronouncement that when he was 35 and he took psilocybin in, in Tim's kitchen, Tim Leary's kitchen, and then he went into the, because all the talking was bothering him, so he went in to, to find the couch. And he lay down on the couch 
And he kind of went out of his body and he said, well, thank goodness I still have my body. And then he looks down and sees there is no body. There's no me there on the couch. And he is merged with a greater thing. He doesn't even know what's happening. This is his first psilocybin experience. It yeah. totally changes him toward Ramdas, you know, from Richard Alpert. It's a beautiful thing. And that the next thing he realizes is that all the roles, uh, the, you know, the petulant uh, upstart professor, uh, tenured faculty at Stanford with a green sports car and motorcycles and all this, uh, the pilot's license and all these things, who he is, all that has dropped away. And he's something else. And he realizes, oh my goodness, I have lived in a life of form in this like attachments to this self-structure until like my 35th year. And now here I am. And I'm realizing now that I've been in a kind of myth of separation. Mm. Yeah. For all of my life up to this point. And there is some, another way to be. It's not sort of clasping onto these roles in the green sports car. The, it's not necessarily that. It's something else just happened, which is another, I think he used to call it another view, another place from which to look. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this, all of this is, mm. speaks of a interconnected field a network system. And so what we may have discovered, Raghu, on the shores of these little hot springs of this ignoble sludge emerges, and the sludge is this interconnected field, and it literally pops out of the cosmos. It pops into reality at life's origins and enables, it's the progenitor for life. It enables life to come, which is the dividing protocell, becoming <laughs> the living cellular community. Well, and it's a powerful freaking medium. It's the yeah. philosopher's stone of our time, effectively. Uh, did you is this written up? Have you written this up? Yes, there's there are several new articles, new publications. Uh, one is being uh, developed now for a journal called Astrobiology, which is sort of the leading journal in our field, which is called Astrobiology. It will be a magnum opus. So we're actually having a meeting next week with the, the writing team of Dave Deemer and Povala Simonis, who's our postdoc. And we've been invited to do this huge framework article, life emerging at all the scales and all the landscape it emerges on. And we'll invite a dozen other colleagues to populate a special issue. It'll probably be out in 2025. Yeah. So that's that will mid-decade capture this huge conception. And along the way, I met a Whiteheadian philosopher named Matt Segal, and he's taking it off into Whiteheadian process thought. What is that? And then Whiteheadian. Whiteheadian. So Whitehead, Alfred North Whitehead, was a philosopher in the 1920s, <laughs> who's really come into his own now, in a sense, that his work has now come into its own, because it's a work which talks about reality coming into existence as these datums that basically transfer their data, their state to the next datum, and that there are no distinct objects, that there's a continuous flow that actually is reality. So this wet-dry cycling that we've been doing perfectly matches uh, Whitehead's 
Oh, really? And, and there's actually something called process theology that's come out of this. And during the pandemic, we, I went up to a conference uh, on all of this stuff, and I met a Franciscan sister hey. named Ilya Delio from the Christogenesis Center in, in Washington, D.C., and she and I hit it off. And she's fascinated with how this links into Teilhard de Chardin's thought, because they, they are the center that has taken Teilhard's, uh, uh, even though he was a Jesuit, they said, well, he's, it's okay, we'll take him in, we're <laughs> Francis, because he's a Jesuit. Yeah. And they've taken his thought, and they're updating it for the 21st century. And at the same time, uh, David Sloan Wilson, who was the uh, partner, intellectual partner of E.O. Wilson, started an entire noosphere of our time, 21st century uh, investigation that we were part of this last summer. It, what does it look like? What, is, what does the Omega point look like now? You know, this was all written 100 years ago. Can you imagine that he coined the term noosphere in 1923? And this, this Jesuit uh, priest slash really? paleontologist. So yeah. Teilhard is a perfect blend. He's a perfect avatar for us for science meets spirituality. A Jesuit who is a paleontologist who wrote a visionary work. Yeah. So Teilhard's, Teilhard's uh, legacy is factors in here. And the last little bit I can fill you in on yeah. is last month uh, at a conference in the UK I had finally had a chance to sit down with Rupert Sheldrake. Oh, really? For, for wow. two days. So we, uh -huh. uh, we at this beautiful place called Broughton Sanctuary up in Yorkshire, in the Yorkshire Dales, it's, a, it's an estate, a 3,000-acre estate uh -huh. run by Roger Tempest, the 32nd Earl of Broughton. <laughs> so literally, he has 30 sec, 32, 31 predecessors yeah. going back to before the Battle of Hastings. Oh, on he's this a land. real toku. <laughs> yeah, he's, and yet he's a guy in a hoodie. <laughs> you know, he, he's super cool. He's, I love him. We, you know, Catherine and I love him and we love Broughton so much. It's full of sheep and healing centers and this wow. Elizabethan manor house, all beautifully restored. Roger's done a magnificent job on this place. And he holds special meetings there. And this this was his special meeting. And we had just a fantastic crowd there, partly psychedelic and partly naturist-based. Uh, uh, and Rupert came. And Rupert and I sat and had tea in multiple beautiful locations. And we kind of put it together. Rupert, if for the audience, has this proposal called Morphic Resonance that if something arises in the world, so say, for instance, the idea uh, of how to do a certain thing, a certain, uh, invent a certain widget arises in one culture, even in a disconnected culture, that the memory of that is somehow stored in the gel uh -huh. and it oozes into another place and it becomes easier for the widget to arise in the second bathtub, something like that. Yeah. And, and that there's a memory of things that self-assemble and that are alive, it creates this patterned memory in space. You could call it a collective Akashic field, for yeah. example. And, and that would include humans, uh, our ancestral memories, the idea of a spirit leaving a body and being felt for several days, uh, all, all of these phenomena that, that people think of as woo, uh, 
he's trying to actually find an explanatory basis. So he and I sat down for tea for days. Oh, really? And we worked on this and we worked on testing using origin of life because it's the simplest proto living system that could demonstrate that a field is set up between say two dishes of two blobs of protocells where an innovation happens in one and it's, it sparks it in the other one. Whereas in a dish that's it's, it's just in the next room. Doesn't, doesn't pick that up or, or through experiments get faster and faster nonlinearly like, beyond the discovery gets easier so that there's this wave front of probability pushing out in the living world, in the proto living world, before you have any genes, even this wave front of probability shaping is pushing out and changing this future. Wow. So these are the kind of, of ideas. So Rupert and I are going to start working on this together. Oh, really? Yeah. Way to do and this, this would be a perfect unification of the reductionist materialist, scientific materialist approach, mm-hmm. trying to demonstrate that there is an unseen force, or I, I call it a conductive medium, that links all of life together. And that that conductive medium, if you're in resonance with it, if you're having a good day, for example, and you're like on it, you feel a flow state, you smile at your neighbor or the person at the hardware store, you create uh, a better conductive medium. You've now interfaced with this thing that's mm-hmm. now higher vibe and more positive. You know, it's more groovy. And, <laughs> and then more things can happen and more amazing things do happen when you take your surfboard to the beach or you... More groovy things happen because you're in a groovy state and you're feeding the field. Mm-hmm. So if we can actually find it, the electron of the 21st century, this mysterious particle that the 19th century people used all the time and didn't have a model for it, right? Electromagnetism was considered magic. It was a part of magic shows in the 1850s, you know, Tesla coils and things like this, but they didn't know how it worked. Well, maybe this kind of psychobiological etheric field is a thing. And if we learn how to interact with it and ping it, and grow it in groups or individually in ourselves. Maybe meditation is an interface with it. Uh, it will be the great tool that we will ever yeah. pick up as a homo sapiens. Yeah. I mean, going back to the, the, the what you experimented with in uh, New Zealand and that finding, we're not talking about a singular separate cell. We're talking about a group. We're talking about interactivity, connect interconnectivity. That is uh, extraordinary because it, it... By the way, everybody out there, I didn't even really introduce Bruce. I mean, it's been a, a while since we've had him on the show. But I'll say you are just an absolutely perfect amalgamation of science, spirituality psychedelic insight and i when i tell people about you and bruce i don't know would you call yourself a buddhist i don't know if you would or you wouldn't but i know you have a lot of uh, connectivity there in that uh, uh tradition but bruce when i talk about you i say what i just said and then at the same time bruce is a closet bhakti 
that may not be true. You may not be that much in the closet about it. But being, you know, the esteemed scientist that you are and your interest is so varied. So everybody out there, this is who we are talking to. Thank, thank you, Raghu. And uh, so this thing that you really, that you've been speaking to since the beginning, some of it's way over my head, but uh, I get it from uh, an intuitive point of view. Uh, we are talking about this being, to me, the most important uh, concept that we just don't have enough people uh, experiencing the interconnectivity of all being and who we are and who we are to each other. And we have the opposite of this manifesting in the world right now. Some yeah. really horrific pain and sufferings being inflicted. And, uh, you know, so it takes me back. So one of the things, everybody out there, we are trying to put something together and that, that Bruce would be a big part of around just uh, an investigation that Ramdas called for before he left. He really, I think you and I talked about it, he really wanted to get something going, summit, symposium, whatever the hell we want to call it, retreat, where uh, there was a deep investigation on a number of different points of people with different points of view um, around uh, all of, and had experience in all of these um, métiers, as they say in French, practice. And uh, yeah, we want to bring people together to really get at uh, the insights that can be generated from, from a spiritual path through psychedelic insight, through a, a scientific base that we don't, those of us that have been practicing and in, in, in for many decades in spirituality and, and following that path and maybe have poo-pooed science for not being flexible enough to go beyond the black and white that uh, they're um, involved with. Um, so uh, anyhow, this is, this what you've just described is so, um, it's like finding a safe zone or something. Wow, it's real. This is not mm. bullshit. We see it when we get together in certain situations and we've seen it over many, many years. It's what Ramdas has always represented, you know, connecting, connecting with people. I wouldn't be here today without that. So, uh, yeah, that's you know, just the, marvelous. The, the take-home that I uh, took from the 1980 talk that he had with Emmett uh, Goswami. Yeah. And, and the kind of, um, in a sense, the advice that Ramdas can give any young scientist, and I would also suggest even technologist, who's trying to get out of the box, trying to make real breakthroughs, is the following. That for a moment, or maybe as your practice, you can become the datum. You can become, instead of the observer that's outside the system and just trying to, do, to test and measure it in a very Cartesian way, why don't you become the thing itself? Become yeah. the experience. And, and 
that's the route to all the great spiritual practice is to basically give up, give up the structure and your preconceived notions and allow a bigger force to allow you to become something else, to get outside your frame, I think, that Ramdas called it. Uh, and I realized when I was listening to this, is this has actually been my practice. So, uh -huh. for example, it's, if you can't, I think Einstein said something like, you can't solve a hard problem from the preconceived notions that lead to the posing of the question or to the obstruction. You actually have to get outside. And Einstein did thought experiments. He would let his whole system go. His, his famous one is running alongside a beam of light when he was 16. It's, it's like a dream. He called it the Gedanken experiment, a mm. thought experiment. Well, but for him, they were reveries. For some physicists, they're like, they go into imaginal space and they see a beam going from one place to another and a type of re uh, receptor. And they might set that up and try to run it in their heads. Einstein, on the other hand, would pose the problem to the universe extent and then wait for the download. Yes. And the download for general relativity, which I think came to him around 1912 or 13, he describes coming through his body as a knowing. And then the embodied experiment, the thought experiment that happened was a man falling through space in an elevator in free fall. And if the elevator was in free fall, the, for, the, for that man, there would exist no gravitational field. But as soon as the elevator slowed and, and, and basically the man's feet went back down and his briefcase fell to the bottom, there would be pressure on his feet. And we call that gravity. But if you took the elevator into space where there was no gravitational field and you actually accelerated the, the elevator toward the moon, put some boosters on it, the guy would also fall down to the bottom of it and his suitcase would land there too. And he would feel that same pressure. And the happiest moment of Einstein's life at that moment was realizing the equivalence of gravity and acceleration. They were the same. Uh -huh. They had the same effect. They were the same. And that led to a theory of gravity called general relativity and changed the world again. You know, it's, so Einstein was, an, a, in a sense, an avatar of a bigger uh, realm. He was a mystic. He was a scientific mystic. And he trusted in the ability of that mystical field to grab him by the shirt collar wow. and take him on that journey. Now, and, of course, you and I, in our last conversation, asked the question, what in the heck is doing that? What's grabbing you by the shirt collar? What is choreographing that download? What bigger thing? Not and perhaps what it is, is the collective of all. The, the collective intelligence, and it's a different type of intelligence, of the living world pushing forward into probabilistic space with all of its tools, its hormones, its genes and replication, its peptides forming on the backs of ribosomes, its wiggling, shaking stuff. All of that is a really powerful machinery that is seeking its own... Uh, perseverance, if you will, through time. It's trying to shape time. So if you look at what cells do and what protocells, what we can do when we design protocells in the lab and watch what they can do, 
just scale that up, scale that up massively. And you end up with a system that I think is large enough to be explanatory for all these phenomena. Eh. It's an operating system. It's a loving, fantastical, shimmering, interconnected OS that is made by the living world that is the benefit. We are the incredible beneficial surfers in there. And the more we open to nature, the, the living world that actually is, which includes our fellow beings, the more we tap into yeah. its, its amazingness. Yeah. Uh, so we don't need extraterrestrial explanations. We, we have it all right in front of us. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in this thing with Ramdas and Amit Goswami that you're referring to, uh, there is some conversation about just this in terms of the universal intelligence and what beings can experience. And he says that's probably what your guru was all about, something like that. And when you say, when you just said, yeah, so it's like a, a, an a operating system that is just completely interconnected with absolutely everything. Not everything is available and nothing is available. And that, when sometimes when, I, when people say, what was it like to be around Neem Karoli Baba? Okay. I, I say, well, I probably wouldn't have said this then because we, you know, this is too long ago. Uh, in terms of the age, the digital age that we're in now. But I, I would say it was sort of, it wasn't, it was more like a computer, I'd say, I have said. And it just, that computer did the right thing for what was necessary for each individual hanging around it. And it wasn't, people say, well, he made a decision to tell somebody something that they couldn't, you know, nobody could have known uh, about their private lives or, you know, uh, why did that apple hit me in, in the head and, and it caused all of these revelations that I never even knew I, I had in me and so on and so forth. It was OS. It was an operating yeah. system. It wasn't, there wasn't a, 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 a somebody thinking, I, okay, now that guy, he needs, this woman needs, it, there was nothing going on. It was just it, it, it's present. It's almost, almost like Maharishi was just, he was just... Uh, Maharaji. Maharaji. Big difference. Maharaji. I'm sorry I said that. Uh, <laughs> I'll call it Neem Karoli Baba. Yeah, Neem Karoli Baba. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it was interesting that... If you read his history, he, I think he arrived on train into this little town, right? Uh-huh. And he was just there. Like, he, he, he himself didn't have a kind of directiveness. He no. just was, he, he, in a sense, set himself, he didn't even set himself up. He just arrived in a place that he fell into. The, the operating system of that place that may also be time invariant. Because sometime in the future, there was this dude who was going to walk up a hill and see uh, a man in white surrounded by people and immediately reject it and say, oh my God, I can't go any further. Having actually been bustled up to the place, the Neem Karoli Baba looks in his eyes and said, and he feels something different. This guy that shows up is Richard Albert, Dick Albert. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks in the, and he feels something coming yeah. on. And Neem Karoli Baba said, 
<laughs> you were thinking of your mother last night. Yeah. You and so that. his mind was blown in one direction, which was, which actually took his guard down immediately about some guru or some cult. Yeah. So his he guard was being was, taken over. He's being taken over. So it was shot. His logical mind was, was blown wide open because this is a fact. This is the probability of this is so small that anybody would ask him exactly that question, which was right on. And then his system opened and Neem Karoli Baba could then look into Dick Alpert and give him, uh, instead of like, higher than thou, aren't I smart, I figured that out. No, he gave him unconditional love yeah. in that moment. Yeah, and, and so that the, the surfing that he was able to do, just, he wasn't even really surfing, he just was. And then I think of this as like tendrils tendrils moving through people. So he was a low resistance, high concentration, high potentiating, tendril moving electron flow thing. <laughs> Just doing what it does because the yeah. system was so open and so healed and so curious and humorous in a way. Yeah. Now I've never met very, him, but it, very, if very. And then so all the other people were able to kind of come into that field and be lifted into it and taken out of their frames, just as yeah. what happened to, you know, young, you know, petulant Dick Alpert at that moment. Yeah. And But it was so easeful. It was just a natural, just occurred because of the environment that was operating as an OS. It was operating yeah. as this. I love that idea. It is group field, right? It's, and we can all do it. If we get into a room, set an intention, and we walk around, look at each other in the eye, we move back and forth, we can actually build group field. I mean, this is, happens at rock concerts all the time, you know. And suddenly everybody's in this uplifted, yep. probabilistic, Yield. incredible milieu. Yeah. And, and so I think it's it's definitely the antidote to separation and fear and anxiety well, from you know, social media, the news and stuff is group field. You know, it's our, yeah. and it goes way back, Raghu, because did you know that 90 million years ago, uh, our deepest sure ancestors <laughs> were little insectivores. So the first proto-primates, the prosimians, had little femur bones about that long and little whip tails, and they had binocular vision, and they were insect eaters in the rainforest canopy before the Chichlub meteorite impact. So They had consciousness? They were... They were kind of like super smart mice oh, yeah. with, with binocular forward vision. And their main food source was the proteins of dragonflies, you know, baked you know, to a crisp. And uh, uh, they ate flowers, they ate carbohydrate, and they also crave sugars. Mm -hmm. And so it's the burger fries in the shake diet oh, that, that we have because okay. we're not, we're not, Technically, uh, we're not carnivores or herbivores. We're actually insectivores. That's our really? our deepest lineage. Yeah. Oh, now, one of the say. things that insectivore communities like that do is they form balls. So for security, they form these tight balls to keep warm because they're mammals and maybe in a cove or a little container in, in, in a high forest canopy, you know, tree or something. And that's their security. So they're constantly in physical contact, building their own field, and they have the collective awareness of what's going on. 
And I, I told one story once that came to me in a download, mm. which was, uh, of all of the seekers and all of the brave ones, they have a common origin. And the common origin of the seeker is what I call, I call her overdrive, the young insectivore uh, primate uh, who is the teenager, who is a little more ballsy and experimental. And so the ball has formed and everyone's asleep. She's positioned herself on the outside frame and she tears herself very carefully away from the ball at night to go out onto the tree limb to not just explore, but she knows that at dawn, these trees emit sap. And if she can get to the big globule of sap sap that she's already seeing, she can suck it down and it will send her into orbit. I mean, it would be so much sucrose. (laughs) And so she's creeping toward this globule of sap. But what she doesn't know is that there's danger in doing that and seeking the high and seeking that stimulation that place because they're the number one uh, predator for our ancestor were tree snakes and this tree snake would have had the body wrapped around the limb with with their head ready to strike so as she's the vision i had is as she's sucking down the sap she's pursed her lips she has one eye that's looking up and it sees the stars and the general world and then she looks back at the ball because if she they see her taking community property, she'll get busted. <laughs> and then her eyes look forward and she sees this trippy pattern of squares all across the limb that just in the dawn light. And that suddenly this trippy pattern of squares moves. <laughs> and it's it's somewhat color and it's it's very complex. And then she she grocks it. That's the body of the serpent and then the head is right below her on the limb ready to come up and snap her down unless she snaps too and jumps and that this could have happened trillions of times this questing for visionary insight this danger of the mesmerization of the trip or today we have smartphones that present pixels to us that mesmerize us (laughs) and if you if you jump before you get completely consumed, you go on and you evolve. And this is why human primates are the one of the only animals that can look at screens and get mesmerized by them. We can drive cars, we can do fabrics, we can do square patterns because we learned we were trained by evolution, exquisitely detailed understanding of pattern, like the poster right, right behind you. Right. And it's right. all woven. It could yeah. be made by in sand. Yeah. And so... That could be explanatory for the source of vision yeah. and its its mesmeric power back in the serpent, in a sense, but the risks we take to go out into that space. So the cognitive awareness that we have, the, the laser-like focus and wisdom and, and carrying the observer and the critical uh, understanding into those spaces is how we've actually always pursued our path forward and it gave us our very vision our binocular color vision itself and the ability to process the the universe Mm, well that's a little metaphoric story for yeah what a seeker of all about a seeker and how we have done that over the ages thank god that we have um 
we talked a little bit. So back to science, spirituality, and Ramdas very much wanted that investigation to happen. And and you said to me, well, what? Why? Why do you think he did want that? And especially coming from where he came from in the last fifteen years of his life in Maui, almost twenty, where he really dropped into this place truly of interconnectivity with everything and everybody around him. He really, if people said to me, is he a guru now? And, uh, you know, enlightened? I said, no, none of that. And he never referred to himself that way. Of course, as a teacher, yes. But there was a way in which I would aspire, since I was so present uh, with him so much, uh, and and love everyone was real. It was real. Even when and, I tried to stop it because I was wheeling him around or something and the, he was exhausted and after he gave a talk and people wanting from him, wanting, mm-hmm. wanting connect, connection, you know, and I would push through it and he'd look at me and put the brake on. <laughs> this God. happens. And, and, the, and, and he just like that just relax mf <laughs> just and let the people come and let me be with them you know so this uh i do believe you know so i i know that he was really in a in a an advanced place around the reality of 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 our interaction with each other and being able to pay attention have yeah. awareness be able to be there like he was for me the first minute I saw him. You know, it was just a field. I was in a field. There was no Richard and there was no Ramdas. There was like that field saying, What do you need now? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing, which led to great trust and intuitive trust. Uh, why would he want to investigate uh, spirituality. I mean, of course, His Holiness has been doing this. His Holiness has, you know, they've been working with at Emory with various scientists and measuring, especially some of these great monks like Minjo Rinpoche we talked about, I think, last time, and uh, their ability to get into these incredible states just like that. I mean, really practice meditators. So he's been doing this that just shows the reality of... of uh, the Tibetan Buddhist philosophy and all of the tenets of it. And I think, I think what Ramdas want, I mean, uh, this is conjecture. I mean, he never said to me, this is why I want this to happen. So I have two things that I believe. One is from the, from the bhakti perspective, not necessarily the Buddhist perspective, from the heart perspective, from all of the nomenclature that goes around with that, that really gets people a little bit shaky inside. Surrender, devotion. When he first came back, he said, I can't say, you know, people flip out when I say these words because us, we in the West, that is not quite ring <laughs> like a bell, shall we say. And I think he wanted to mix, uh, this is all, by the way, I'm just coming to me in this moment. I think he really wanted to mix the uh the idea of uh, it's it's the work you're doing actually you are doing this work which is why you're the first person i would call upon to to come and join us in in this proceeding you are doing that work which shows i mean just the 
the beginning of our chat here, again, the interconnectivity that's it's being proved. I can't wait to see this uh, th this published uh, article. I mean, you've got to remember to send it to me. Um, so I think that's what he was looking for. What you're doing is what he really wanted to interact with minds that uh, can show there is only one thing going on. Not two, one. And then I thought the second thing was to bring in the reality because it's such a been such a powerful medicine, well, for so long, you know, since Hoffman found it, uh, psychedelics. But more recently, this thing that Rick Doblin's been doing with maps and, you know, getting the government to really realize, wow, this can help people. Look at all these people. They're sending to war and coming back with PTSD, et cetera. And... Uh, what we did talk about was the uh, Ramdas was the efficacy of psychedelics, that, and we experienced it. He gave it to Neem Karoli Baba actually at Maps in Denver, where I was earlier this summer, this past summer. There was uh, um, a Picard. What was his name? Leonard Picard. Uh, Leonard Picard. Yeah. yeah, who was a major maker of of acid. He was recalling what that, you know, white lightning, which is what Ramdas brought from the Brotherhood to India. And he said it was 600 microgram, micrograms. And I went, mm. God, he gave him a few of those things. <laughs> More than I once. Think on, I think on the second trip, uh, Neem Curly Baba put them on yeah, his tongue. Yeah, to, yeah, Remember that? Because he, yeah, he, because thought he, he knew loaded. that Ramdas thought he had tossed them yeah, over yeah, his right. the first trip. <laughs> yeah. It's like, He's going to demonstrate, no, I'm taking them. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so great. Anyhow, um, but really central theme for Ramdas has always been, and and Nimkaroli Baba did say, this is opens the, not in so many words. Actually, he said, you get to stay in a room with Christ for a few hours. And it's good for beginners, but ultimately better to feed people, something like that, he would say, right? And Ramdas, over many, many years, talked about the efficacy of the interconnected experience one has through ethnogens oh. and the insight that comes from that ineffable, at some point, experience. You cannot name it, but it takes you into another realm that is not you, that separate individual. What do you do with this? From then on is a big question. Many people, uh, I, I wouldn't judge it, but, you know, need that. They want that experience over and over and over. Maybe under the guise, I'll find out something else about dark places that need to be enlightened and so on. Maybe. But I think uh, for, for Ramdas, the, the integration process from these insights leads for me is what connects the idea of investigation through science and spirituality. I, I leave it to you to comment on that. Well, one of the things we, we came to, this is a couple of years ago, Dennis McKenna uh, has this beautiful conference every two years. Yeah. And he wrote to me, I think at the end of 2021 saying, will you come? And I just came to me in a flash, like maybe it's time to start talking again about the use of entheogens, LSD, uh, 
these psychoactives in creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. And there had been a study, uh, a pilot study by Willis Harmon, who later went on to be the uh, the president of IONS, Institute of Noetic Sciences, for 20 years. And Jim Fadiman was part of that study. Yeah. And Myron Stoleroff is one of the authors on that study. And this conducted in San Francisco in 1965, where they took engineers and an architect and mathematicians, and they took doses of uh, mescaline sulfate uh, and or yeah. uh, LSD, and they worked on creative problems. Even during the session, while they were, you know, post-peak, and then for weeks afterward, they reported beautiful increased flow and brain flexibility. Uh, and that was also shut down in 65 when the, the letters went out from the Nevada and California governors uh, basically criminalizing LSD in, in May of 65. Yeah. And so that article was published and that was the end of the research. And we thought it's time to bring this back. So what I did in May of last year was came out of the closet at the ESPD conference in England. And uh, the talk I gave was called It's High Time for Science. <laughs> and it was about my own experience uh, of great. doing first my own healing such that then I could have the revealing. So I think it really does go in that order. You do the healing to remove all, all that stuff in, in the mini-me's that you describe yeah. that are running all the time trying to protect this and do that. Yeah. Let them relax and be released. And then the flow starts and you have this incredible capacity to not only see into yourself or others, but also to look at the cosmos and the mechanics of, of reality and get these gifts. We talked about lifting and gifting last time as a new metaphor for evolution. Mm. You are lifted through your own healing and then the gift comes, uh, which could be for an artist, a beautiful painting. Uh, But for scientists who've been under the covers or in the closet for so many decades using these tools, combination of what would you call endogenous tools or endo-tripping tools of just from within, and that can come through meditation, breath work. My, breath work is one of my techniques. Yeah, I remember. And yeah. exogenous tools or exo, which is things coming from without. And this wonderful weaving of these states of mind that can be all, all on the natch, as Terence would call it. Terence McKenna, natural. Or it could be the introduction of tryptamine psychedelics, which are partic- particularly potent. And in my case, it was ayahuasca that I turned to in 2013 for the healing of my birth, the fact that I was given up at birth and in a ward for 11 days and then taken home by my adoptive family. Uh So I had the rupture. Yeah, Mm. I had a rupture then, Mm. and I had to unwind it. I had to unravel Mm. and re-experience that. And ayahuasca helped me re-experience being in my mother's belly before they decided to give me up. So I felt her love. And that was one night in in 2013. And then so released because my whole little system, my mini me had been wondering where was this love? Where did it go? And Uh partly my autism, my childhood autism in the 60s, which 
it didn't even have a name autism or the spectrum didn't, didn't oh, no. come into. So I was this weird little kid made by that experience that there was a protector, there was a traveler that would protect the little sensitive one. And it gave me the ability to travel and realm in worlds. And it was all my making, it's my boot code. And so that one night in Peru, I underwent this profound healing of experiencing my birth, my, my conception growth as, as really? from embryo on birth. And yeah. then I turned around to the entity that had given me, you know, we call her Madre Ayahuasca. And I said to her, would you like to go to our collective births, the birth of us all? Because I'm so close to it, but I haven't been able to become it. And because I was so clear and clean, it had it, it allowed me to be fully embodied into this quest and this question. I became that first dividing protocell, ripping itself oh, apart. Yeah. Oh, wow. And watching its death, watching the failure, the, the budding part that was coming off was dead, but the part that was left behind was more alive. And that was the clue. That it was an incredibly crazy experience driven partly by my own endogenous juices, my endotripping system merged with a smaller dose of ayahuasca in uh. partnership. And three months after that, the, the questions posed by why did the protocell create a dead offspring, uh, the words came, death wrote the code of life. Uh. So it, in order for cells to learn how to create another, they have to try and try again and fail. And the only environment that they can do that in is in a collective, in a supportive community progenitor. Mm. If they try it on their own, they will fail and die. But if there's in a supportive system that allows them the resources and the, the surround protect to attempt these buds, then chemically it's actually feasible to move toward life itself and death did write that code of, of life within that framework. And there's something deeply philosophical about that emergent system that this is the way it woke up. This is the way it came into being. Right. And it's still operating inside us. It's still as a driver and coming to terms with death writing the code of life. So that, that was a, a model that I... I Describe publicly my experience I shared publicly in oh, yeah. May of 2022. Mm. It was very a tender, vulnerable moment, moment actually. Mm. I can't uh, you can see it online and it's oh, on really? YouTube. Uh -huh. and, uh and so that brought people together who thought, wow, I have these experiences too. I've just never shared any of this. Right. And so I wrote a framework for a new organization. And we came up with a name for it in August. We're calling it Minds. Maps pioneered psychedelics and therapeutics. Minds is going to help us in this visioning space mm. where these people like scientists, engineers, leaders, designers, people who are doing pivotally important things in the world who have all this agency who are tackling the hardest kind of technical problems but also societal problems and complexity of wildfires, for example, and giving them an academy where they can come through and they can actually develop this almost Jedi-like ability 
building on all the traditions of the East, building on all the best uh, use and the careful use of entheogens, the mentorship they need, and the way to land yeah. their healing and their revealing in one package and to realize and for all the rest of us, their, their gift will be their beautiful solutions that they give mm -hmm. to the world. And so that's minds. And we're literally going to push the button on the charter papers next week. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a whole team a come together in, in Texas uh -huh. with uh, Ford Smith and his partner, Sylvia. And uh, just a whole team of people. I actually told Goggin about it. Yeah. Uh, I told Cody Smith, we had a yeah. uh, dinner with Cody Smith. We talked about it. I've been traveling the world, talking to people about mines and seeing who's wanting to join our advisory board, mm. or we'll probably have some initial donations, which we can distribute to research grants mm. to, oh, to study great. this and restart all this science. Well, I had sent you uh, just prior to this uh, podcast, this chat, uh, a video that was done by Google Empathy Lab, which is a, a friend, Danielle Credick, Ananda, Ramdas named her. And it's a beautiful little piece. You did get a chance to watch it, oh, right? I did. It was, yeah. it was exquisite. It was, yeah. it, so it, it, it kind of captured what it did for me, Raghu, and thank yeah. you for sending it, because what it did for me, as we think about minds and think about solutioning and all this we go into our heads uh -huh. and we get all excited and what this piece with ramdas reminds us that we live in our heads most of the time if we can reset that frame that set a little bit and come from the heart so it it reminds me that we have to come from the heart in this endeavor exactly exactly what why i brought it up as you described it and why I think it's the, it's all, you know, it's, we want to represent Ramdas's propensity to do nothing but share the jewel that he got, which is what he, I, I don't remember. If, no, no, I haven't. Uh, I was with him before he died in the summer living in Maui. And I just, I don't know, just playing around really. I said, you know, you were told when you left India by Neem Karoli Baba not to talk about him. Mm. So why did you do that? Guru told you not to, they say in India. And he said, I was given a jewel. I, how could I not share that jewel? You know, and that represents... Mm him and everything that has been going on all these i mean it's the leg it's our legacy is that is that connectivity is that caring compassion and that that's the legacy not getting enlightened or anything like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's it says his holiness the dalai lama says it being let's kinder you know let's start there anyhow that is that concept to me not a concept, that reality, is the glue for what we're trying to do with uh, science, spirituality, and psychedelic insight. It is the glue for all of it. To me, it's the glue for minds that you just you know, <laughs> described. And somehow that, yeah, that has to be injected into the uh, conversation, shall we say. 
when when I uh, shared with our team at our all hands meeting on Tuesday that I would be having this conversation with you, uh, they were so excited. Mm. And I said, yes, this 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 tendril, if you will, reaching out into Ramdas's legacy is so important for us because we need to onboard it fully in what we're doing because it really is, if we're doing this from unconditional love and softness, because the people that we're working with are the hard, they're the prickly types. You know, <laughs> Alan Watts talks about the gooey people yeah, and yeah, the prickly yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. These are prickly <laughs> people, right? They're yeah. Trying to get measure a number and get chips to work and yeah. all the sorts of things they deal with investment and capital and things like this. But the goo part of it is looking each other in the eye with a twinkle uh, and saying, I just love everything about you or what we're doing, or let's be human for a moment. Let's be a little gooey. Don't uh, let the goo ooze out of the room yeah, and it all become prickles. It's a bumper sticker, Bruce, for sure. It's a bumper sticker. So perhaps uh, in in some amazing way, you're kind of threading uh, you and, and your approach and the legacy you're carrying can help us. You can thread into our organization in some way uh, to also remind us uh, about this because I... I, I tr- Truly, as as the founder of of minds, uh, I have to be a good shepherd, and I have to ensure that there is health in the organism. And I think going to Naropa or to this event next year, being part of it, being part of these communities, the communities of wellness and thriving, and looking in the eye, and being gooey for a little bit, is so healthy for humans. Mm, yeah, even as we go and tackle you know, landing on Mars or whatever we're doing, which is more prickly, uh, we, we have to not forego the, uh, exactly. the yeah. body, yeah. the embodied goo that we are. And that that <laughs> goo is everything. Yeah. The goo allowed the prickly to grow up from it and figure out geometry and do all these sorts yeah. of things. We're still primarily but, gooey. But you have in the very beginning of this podcast where you describe what you found in New Zealand when I said, what have you been doing since we met? And that description so aligns with the reality that we experienced around this particular being, around the work that we've been doing all these years, that reality being proven out by unconditional love, connection, by your, your work there, is what we're talking about, science, spirituality, and mm-hmm. psychedelic insight, you know. So wow. It, we're it gonna can it can be one thing and it and it yeah it's through uh people sharing their stories. So people yep. sharing the story of this unity of these great triumvirate, how they made it into one beautiful thing. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. as Ramdas had this one beautiful jewel that he carried the triumvirate to you and to the rest of us that he got from Neem Karoli Baba that each person allowed to share their their story of their jewel, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, they, no, yes, absolutely. Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, you'll go into the show notes and we're going to link up everything. Bruce is going to send me whatever links uh, to, to the work that he's doing and, you know, eventually this paper that's going to come out around this this last event in New Zealand. 
and uh, we will uh, make sure that you you have access because it's all incredibly wonderful stuff. And I'm I'm like thrilled. I yeah, how I I've missed out the last couple of years, Bruce, but here we are. We're back. I've been thinking about you and wondering uh, how everything was going because I know <laughs> that Ramdas also wanted to move the sangha to the mainland. Uh, and sort of fully park it here for people. Yeah, and I, I yeah. expect you were doing that and doing the organizational things that had to be done. Yeah, all of that is there. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much uh, going through a process since he left of how do we, you know, we're getting on as well. How do we make sure that this... Uh, these, this legacy gets it, it is continues and is available to people. I mean, you know, it's amazing the next gen catching on. Well, yeah, I just had a psilocybin trip and I get lettered. And 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 somebody gave me this book. Be here now. So you guys represent that. You know, it's like yeah, I'm 19 years old, <laughs> and it's amazing, absolutely amazing. So it's, it's it's truly amazing that uh, I know about ten podcasts back you were talking with Robert uh, Thurman, uh, and he's a young kid in 1961, uh, going out to you know Tim and and Richards, you know, going to their group at Harvard, having his first experiences, and he's a voice that's still with us. Yeah, uh, and it's it's amazing. It's a it's a moment in time when yeah. when all the generations are. Here and how do we faithfully carry their lives and their loves and their work mm. to this next generation? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's what Ramdas. That was one of the when I at one time years ago, before years before he he left. Any instructions that you might have for me as a director and all that? Just make sure that next generation, this information, these teachings are available on the platforms that they want, they would normally go to, which has changed <laughs> a lot. You know, now there's AI Ramdas. We're working on that because right. we did somebody... Ramdas somebody, talking with Alan Watts, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's going to be, you'll be able to ask AI Ramdas whatever question. You know, we're, mm. we're we're working towards it responding the way that those of us that knew him well would know he would respond. Anyhow, that's a whole other adventure that we didn't even talk about. We will we'll have to get to that another time. Thank you so much, Bruce, for being here. It's it's always a pleasure, and uh, look forward to seeing you in our neck of the woods potentially. Uh, yeah, this no, coming that's year. Yeah, that's going to happen, and uh, uh, one way or the other. That is going to happen for sure. So I look forward to it. Everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch Alan Watts and Ram Dass. And uh, you know who's coming, Bruce? <laughs> this mm-hmm. Krishnamurti. We've oh just done a, an agreement with them to uh, to get his talks, uh, you know, uh, I, I lived in, in Ojai across the fence from... The library no. out on the East End. I lived there for years. I don't uh, know. Did we ever just, talk about that? That's, he, of course, that's where we are. That's where I am sitting. If you were across hey. the street from, uh, from the meditation from Krishnamurti, 
you are, I'm about to go there uh, to take the dog for a walk, I will be walking pretty much nearby there. I mean, around the so block. If, if you are on McAndrew and you make a right down this little mm -hmm. lane as a stone wall down a gravel road, right to the Topa Topa boundary of the ranch. Oh, really? That was my house. My house is right there. No. From 1990 to 1992. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And he had just passed, I think, in 86. Mm. So the whole building was closed. Everything was closed there. And I mm. finally, uh, about 10 years ago, started being able to go in there and go to sessions there in the room and read the yeah. Order of the Star uh, right there in his, his library. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, the history of this place is amazing. All right, everybody, we're going to see you next week again. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, onward and forward.